Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hey everyone, this is BT and welcome to Inside the Episode. Today, David and I are going inside the episode titled Quit Trying Harder. We are not going to quit trying harder for you though, because we're always here for you. That's a successful mind <laughs> podcast mantra. I'm always trying to change up a little bit what we're talking Just about a here. Little. So, yeah, well, in this episode, David, you you are teaching from You Squared by Price Pritchett, which you've referenced many times on this podcast. And this little book has quite a few powerful nuggets within it and quit trying harder being one of those. And what I love about this book so much is that for people like me who who really struggle with studying, like I don't figure myself as a studier, Pritchett breaks it down so nicely because they're bite-sized chunks. And I think that's what you do best too, is you take the difficult and make it seem simple. So I was really glad that you taught from this and you're actually going to be teaching from this in another episode we're going to release next week. But in the meantime, what is it about the human spirit that allows us to believe that trying harder and harder is always the best course of action? Well, you know, that's, you know, I've never had anybody ask me the question that way before. It, it, the, the human spirit, I don't, I definitely know this. We're programmed with the idea of work harder. That is something that um, uh, we get built into our character from, you know, from the moment of birth, I, I think. It is, uh, it is, man, I don't know where it came from, um, is that something we get from our parents? Like, is this like a work well, it ethic? Is. It is, but I was kind of thinking, like, historically, if there was anything that, that quickly caught my, my memory. All I know is, is this, that it is, it's something that's been taught uh, b- both in religion and in philosophy and in the way that we, that we actually work in life. The idea is to work hard, right? To work hard. Um, there's, there's various different ideas with it, though. I think with working hard, one of the things is about putting your best effort forward, right? Sure. If I'm going to work hard, I'm going to put a really good effort in the direction that I want for what it is that I'm looking for. But I do think there's something to your question from the aspect of the, the human psyche, possibly mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. human, the human will. There is there is a, a a feeling inside of a person of determination, right? When you really want something, when you're locked into something, there's this determination that will cause us to do anything in order to get something. And on the flip side of it. If we're afraid of something or if we're if we're in like the fight or flight mode, it's the same way. We will give an all-out effort in order to preserve life. So I think from the way that you asked that question, I think that there's probably a spiritual component to it. I think there's probably a genetic component to it as far as uh, uh, there's this idea that, that life is going to fight for itself and I think that's through all of life, not just not just man. I think it's you know it's in the animals, it's in the plants, it's in anything that has life as we as we understand it. Sure, yeah. And by no means are we saying you know quit 
working hard. No, That's not, not the at title all. of this episode. It's not quit yeah, working no. hard. It's more about be efficient in your effort to bring in what it is you need to bring in. And you know, in the episode and also in the book, you know, I enjoy it when we reference the story of the fly. This is like perfect, who repeatedly runs itself into the glass window, attempting to get out all the while just an open window sits yeah. nearby. If it just took a moment to take a step back and look at some perspective, it could fly out and not end up as, you know, a casualty on the windowsill. Um, you know, and what I find interesting about that is Pritchett says just 10 seconds of effortful, effortless flight would have produced total success. So how have you seen something like that play out in those you've worked around or with? Meaning that they're so involved in the moment and they're so invested in this thing that they fail to see the bigger picture and because of that, they fail. So first of all, I think the interesting thing about this is it's one of the um, reasons why we have an intellect. Our intellect gives us the ability to see things differently which allow us to use things like leverage to make things easier so that we can, and you know, I think even making things easier kind of robs uh, something from it. And here's, and here's why. It's about doing more with little, a little less effort, right? You need the less effort to be able to do more when you're thinking about leverage. If you're just thinking power for power, it doesn't work. But the idea is how can we actually do more in life? So as if you, if you study the, the, the evolution of man, what you notice is that the more that the intellect and the brain developed, the more we were able to do because we could think differently about it. We were, we, we had the ability to gain the awareness of all the knowledge that's already out there. See, when we lived in a cave, the, the, the information to create a cell phone was here. It was in the universe, right? The information to create everything was here, but we had to ramp up our knowledge in order to be able to understand it, to even conceive it, right? Um, is, is very different. If we continue to approach things from how hard something is, there's no reason to think different about it, right? But if I want to do something that seems impossible and I don't know how to do it and I realize that I can't do it from just sheer brute force, my only alternative as a thinking person is to think differently. <clears throat> so this is where you see people throughout all of time really working with the idea of how can we think differently about things in order to, to create different results. I also think part of this has got to be the question that early man had to have in their mind, which was, there's a picture I can see in my mind that doesn't exist in the physical world, at least not as I'm observing it. So how can I make the picture in my mind be real to my physical world? And I think through the development of thought and the development of language, you know, all of these different things that we started to develop in mathematics, uh, it, be, it gave us the ability to understand our universe very differently than just the hunter-gatherer. You know, mm -hmm. and so as we as we got ideas, you know, I apparently at, at some point man was like, OK, I have to get in really close to hit the bear with the rock in order to kill it. 
if I could create a weapon that could that I could not have to get close to to be able to do this, chances are I wouldn't I wouldn't be killed in my attempt to kill the bear, right? So they come up with a bow and arrow, or they come up with a spear, you know, something that I can throw from a distance in order to do this. These are images and ideas that are in the mind, but they don't yet exist in the physical world. So then man is trying to work the problem out, right? How do I work this problem out? And we start to discover the idea of there's ways to do less but gain way more than if we were just pushing in order to get something. You know, and that's what that's what Pritchett's book is about, is a U squared. It's it's really about how can I create more in my life in a more elegant way, but not promoting laziness or anything like right. that at all. It's about how do I use my mind to get and create more in my life that I that I want to have. Yeah. Or that I want to be, do, and have. Yeah, that's not magical thinking. Yeah. No, that's it's just, not. That's just truth. No. Yeah, and shout out to the OGs out there who um, invented the uh, hurling devices and the spears and the <laughs> arrows. Because you, you're right, they're the original innovators. I they mean, are. that's you're, And that's how things are going to, even in our lifetime, there's going to be innovations. You know, flying cars and, you know, rocket ships to Mars and all these other sorts of things. They are becoming a reality. And it's because people are innovative and we always have been innovative. And that's what moves the species forward, like you've talked about before. I think that's so cool. Uh, well, also, in addition to Pritchett's work, U Squared, you did reference Think and Grow Rich on the podcast episode, and specifically the chapter on persistence, which is one of our favorites. Can you share more about uh, that Think and Grow Rich um, chapter on persistence and the impact it may have had on, on your growth? Because you do talk about Think and Grow Rich quite a bit on this show and even in your teachings. Yeah. So I'll never forget um, the the reason the chapter kind of stood out to me. Well, it didn't. I should say this: it didn't stand out to me. The reason that it became important to me was because my mentor said that he went through an exercise with a friend of his, where they would call each other every day and they would take turns reading the chapter. So one day Bob would do it, the next day John would do it. And they would read the chapter back and forth to each other. And it was the chapter on persistence, and I think they did it for 90 days. So it was about, in order to, in order to, uh, I create a big vision for myself, for my life, for my business. In order to, to accomplish this vision, I have to be persistent. I have to go through the trials and the errors and changing my belief system, improving my skills, learning different skills, seeing if I can cultivate other talents, meeting people, getting better at more efficient at doing things. And with all of that, um, you're battling yourself, right? You're battling uh, the disciplines within yourself, the weaknesses within yourself, uh, you may be you may be battling things from your past, shame, guilt, this type of stuff. It's not that it's it's not that it's impossible to create this better version of you. It's absolutely possible to do it. But the key to getting there is persistence. You have to be persistent in the endeavor, and you get better and better and better as you go. But most people do not have um, persistence as a skill set really. Uh, honed into their belief system. And Bob was pointing out uh, to me and some, and to some other people at the time that it was, you know, one of the most important things to really get into your character as a person 
if you're going to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Yeah, sure. And with persistence, if you if you if you stop persisting, then basically you're quitting and then it's over. That's, that's the end game. Like that is the end game. So you have to be persistent in everything you do to achieve that goal. And that's how you separate those who are good from those who are great. So keep plugging away. All right. Well, let's talk more about the intellectual and emotional tool that we have to deal with fear. Uh, You said that was called courage, which I thought was outstanding. And it does indeed take courage to step out um, against conventional norms and patterns given to us by our family and to inevitably follow our heart's desire and build what we want to build. Mm -hmm. So to the person out there who's listening right now, what advice would you give them on how they can persistently step out with courage and continue to move forward, even though there might be those naysayers in their life that are saying, it's crazy, it's a pipe dream, you shouldn't do it? I think a person has to understand first and foremost how much they actually want something. Because if if you seriously have a desire to do something in your life, that desire will weaken over time if you don't take care of it, if you don't cultivate it. You and I have talked about this right. a lot over the years. Yeah. It needs to be taken care of as much as anything else in uh, uh, a person's life. You know, the things that are important to us, we give attention to, we take care of them, we keep them healthy, we keep them ready to use, um, we study them, we learn more about them, and... Uh, the, you know, the idea is that if you if you really come from the aspect of I can accomplish anything in my life that I truly want, the key is building up that desire. And well, Napoleon Hill said it has to be like a white hot flame, mm-hmm. right? You, it it be the reason for this when everything's going wrong, when you've failed, when you've made mistakes, when people talk bad about you. Uh, if you're not feeling good, if if your um, uh, if your perseverance, so to speak, it is waning, the one thing that you have to fall back on is how much you actually want something. How important is sure. it to you? So the only thing that we can do is to pay attention to it to a degree that it becomes an asset to us. It's actually like a tool. If I have that desire, it may be the only thing that I have today that's actually keeping me going. It might be the only thing that uh, keeps me moving when when a thousand people have told me no. You know, the other thing in in, um, uh, in Think and Grow Rich is the story about Edison mm. and the ten thousand tries sure. to do the light bulb. And I always and I and I ask people this question because I think about it myself. At what point would have you been like, "Fuck this"? Right, I mean, ten thousand attempts. If we're to believe the story to right. be to be accurate, and there's no reason not to believe it. How many times would you keep trying something and failing at it before you were like, "Screw this, screw this"? I see people give up after one. Right, you know, they're like, "Hey, I went out, I tried this, and it it's didn't. It didn't work." And it's like, okay. That I think that story goes to show you how much somebody wanted something, and the character that was in them was that I will I'll do this to the day I die, if that's what it takes in order to create it. Because for whatever his belief was, he believed that he was supposed to actually create the, the incandescent light. 
Yeah, and that persistence was born from the clarity that he himself had that this was what he was here to do and he was going to do it, even if it did not happen in his lifetime. He right. was going to take it to his grave otherwise because, right. yeah, that's that's a good way to look at it for and sure. It, it, I always find this interesting, too, about Edison and, and other people that are like him. There had to be some kind of an understanding in their mind that if they could see it, they could create it, right? Um because if you think about when he lived, that you know, there was there was religion out there, there was philosophy, but there wasn't self improvement like we know it today. So where did this come from? Uh, where people because you know that there's people that thought he was nuts. Oh sure. You know, any time and even today, if you go too far outside of what people know to be true, they're like you're fucking crazy. You know, if you'd have told people that the phone company was going to be basically out of business, we're not going to be wiring phones, we're not even going to have a house phone, this is what we're going to have, they'd have been like, you're stoned. Right. You're crazy. It was uh, uh, a gadget on Star Trek yeah. 30 years ago, 40 yeah. years ago, whatever it was. So back in Edison's day, to have this image in his mind of all these different things that he wanted to invent, because he was the consummate inventor, like so many things this guy invented, they didn't exist at all. I mean, okay, the person that the person that created the the iPhone or the or the the mobile phone, there was still a phone before this, right? Right. You know, so this was just a different version of something that we already had. The light bulb wasn't like that. Yeah. We had gas and we had oil and we had the sunshine and the stars and lightning, right? There was nothing in a self-contained thing where you could literally control the light, but he could see it in his mind. So somewhere in there, he's like, if I can see it in my mind, I can do this, but I need persistence in order to be able to do it. Yeah, totally. I'd love to explore the idea of like the modern day Edison's, you know, like the people out there, like yeah. I, I immediately thought of like uh, Elon Musk and a lot of people think he's just, he's crazy. Like when, you know, with the whole thing with the electric cars and all these things sure. and the trips to Mars and the SpaceX and all these other things he's got going on, but he is truly innovating at such a clip where he's looking to move move us forward in various things. And there's people out there who are like, this guy's crazy. He's a nut job. I yeah. can't even listen to anything he says. So it's interesting. I wonder if there's any other examples out there of people who are doing things like now, like even Steve Jobs, you know, with the, with the iPhone, these things, the, the, the machine, like I don't flip on the light in the office and think, Oh, thank you, Thomas Edison. I don't open up my Mac and say, thank you, Steve Jobs. You know, right. it's just so interesting to see how there are those people who at the time are considered completely, outside of, of uh, on the fringe, they're outside right, of the norm, right. but yet when you connect the dots backward, man, we couldn't have done any of these amazing things without those people. Right. And now we take it for granted. And oh, if it 100%. doesn't work, we're pissed off. Oh, totally. You know? Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean... <laughs> they're I, out there. And they're well, going to continue to be out there. They, yeah, they'll continue to be out there. There's, there, is no, there is nothing that indicates that there's a limit to what we can create. We've, there's nothing. Yeah. You know, I mean, here's what I believe. If I can see an image in my mind, the reason that I can see it is because the knowledge already exists in the universe. I'm not creating an image out of something that doesn't exist. It already exists in the universe. So if it exists there, the possibility for it also exists there. Sure. The question is, can I, can I use my intelligence 
to try to figure out how to put those things together so that they actually work, you know. And I think it was in uh, the late 1800s, there was a postmaster that said, everything that can be invented has been invented, right? In the 1800s. In the 1800s, right? So it's, uh, it's interesting. We are... We are predominantly taught to go through the world using our senses, sight being the, the predominant sense. And we have this kind of weird belief where it's like if we can't see it, smell it, taste it, touch it, weigh it, it doesn't exist. You know? Um, and it's it, the other thing that I think is, is interesting about this is not only does it not exist, but you will be ridiculed to death if you go too far out on a limb with saying something exists that science has not proven yet, you know? So it's, it's fascinating with, with human behavior. It, it, definitely, it definitely tells you why people would have a limiting belief in some areas because if you are torn down, made fun of, or, or ridiculed for having, you know, a belief to be way out there to do something that most people never think about doing, if I'm going to get ridiculed for it, why would I do it? So a lot of people fall, you know, on on uh, on that idea. Yeah, they fall prey to that. I while you were talking, I thought about you know, like I'm I'm assuming that, you know, Leonardo da Vinci at the time was probably considered one of the craziest guys ever. This guy's a wingnut. I thought about uh, you know the, the Wright brothers, you know, uh, being able to take this machine and get it off the ground, and not only that piece, but how scary that must have been. And then I thought about you know the first astronauts who got in the Apollo missions and flew up and landed on the moon. Like these people did something that was out of the realm of possibility, and here it is. It's the, so the, cool. The father of the Wright brothers was a minister that told them that they were going to go to hell for tapping into what was like supposedly God's domain in the religious community's belief. Wow, I did not know that. Very That's wild, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like where it was it this so this is like prohibited knowledge. You're not supposed to be able yes. to do something that only God. We were can meant do to walk like on the ground, yeah, not fly in yeah, the in the sky. Exactly. And the belief was you'd go to hell. Yeah. Wow. No, I'd never heard that before. Mm-hmm. It's just fascinating. But it, it all comes back to, you know, this this persistence and, you know, innovating and doing something different, even though everybody around you might think. And for the people who are on this, listening to this podcast, you know, they're on a growth journey. They obviously found you for a reason. Right. And they're sitting there thinking to themselves, you know, I've got all these people in my life who are saying I'm crazy, but I can see it in my mind. This was I was meant to do. Yeah. And... Stay with it. Yep. Persist. Keep going forward. Yeah, that's great. I love it when we can bring in the history of it and then also the relevancy of the people who are doing that For nowadays sure. into the show. I think For it's sure. so cool. All right. Well, um, let's get back into decisions because decisions a big part of, of this episode as well. And you, you always say that most people tend to make decisions based on where they are currently, yeah. not where they're going. So how does a person make that shift when they have very little frame of reference on their end destination? You know, they've got the idea in their head of what they want to be, but everything in their life up to this point has shown them that it's a big stretch for them to get there. So how does a person shift that without having a frame of reference? And well, it's not, this is not an easy answer for it's sure. Not an easy because answer. It's, it's, it's case by case. Yeah. It's that here's the thing. It comes, it really does come down to how bad a person wants something. That has to be clarified first, because if they don't want it, the, the, the negativity, the resistance that they're going to run up against trying to get it is going to be horrendous. 
Um, so a lot of it really comes down to, you know, how bad does a person want it? Which, which then brings up another question. And I think the question is something along these lines. Why am I here? What is my, what is my purpose in life? I think everybody to some degree um, battles with that question in their mind at some point in their life. But how they answer it seems to determine whether or not they go after anything like a dream, you know, or do they just say to themselves, listen, uh, life is is this and I go get a job and I raise a family and I do the best that I can. And, you know, that's that's basically the end of it. It A person has to be asking a different question about uh, what's important to them and what what is the purpose of their life, I think. I think. Otherwise, why is a person going to do something that um, generally is met with resistance and ridicule, usually by the people that are around them? Because you, here's what you're, you're doing something else, too. I didn't mention this. If I decide that I'm going to change something in my life, right, all the people around me get forced to change because they have to now adapt to my change. And if I'm if I'm changing in a way that feels threatening to them in some way, whether it's threatening their belief system, how they view the world, um, judgments around money or judgments around business or how much I'm working, all of this stuff, you're going to get pushback. You're, you're absolutely going to get pushback. And, I, and I'll tell you that in 22 years of coaching people, it is probably the number one problem uh, that I that I end up working with people with is how do I get my family to go along with what it is that I'm going to do? Or how do I deal with the toxicity? Or how do I deal with the resistance? Or how do I deal with family members that are misbehaving? You know, it is all about the fact that here's a person that decided they wanted to do something different someone or several people in the family don't agree with it. They find it very threatening to what they're doing, and they're really putting the pressure on this person to actually stop. It's a, it's a big thing for people to have to break through in order to get that goal that they want in life. And it's not everybody, but I'll tell you, it. Like I'm, I am not even joking when I say it is the number one problem that entrepreneurs have to deal with across the board uh, uh, that I have seen with people in 22 years. Sure. I mean, a lot of it boils down to what are other people going to think about me? It, and those people are going to try and hold you in place because they do not want you to grow beyond where you are right. because then for fear of abandonment, you will abandon them. You'll have to go on and move move about your business. Yep. And, you know, I think that boils down to the one question, speaking personally for myself, this is a very difficult question to answer is, what do I want? You know, when people ask you if you're, you know, what do you want? And you don't know the answer to that. That's when you really got to quiet your mind and really start to think, is this what I really want to do with yes. my life? Life. And if you're not doing that thing, ask yourself a different question or find a different answer because you're clearly not doing right. what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Well, I love in the episode you shared a little bit about uh, a river cruise you took through Burgundy and you happened to come across this beautiful bronze piece that you were drawn to. And that bronze piece was called Beyond Good and Evil and it captivated you tremendously. 
and you didn't buy it at the time just because you were traveling. I mean, you're over in, in France, but it stayed with you, that, that vision. And you eventually came across a client who helped you track down the artist of that piece, and you commissioned that artist to make it for you personally. It's such a cool story, and it's one of persistence, kind yeah. of the theme of this episode. How does that moment where you saw something like this beautiful piece that now adorns, you know, this beautiful room in your house encapsulate how you live your life. Like you saw it, you remembered it, you tracked it down. It feels like that's David Nagel through and through. Yeah. So that what's interesting about it is when I, when I saw this, this piece and the, I don't speak French, nor do I read French. Um, but it, 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 it had the name of it in, in on the on the plaque, it had the name of it in in French, and uh, my my wife at the time uh, was Canadian and she she spoke fluent French, and I asked her what what is what is that what is the name of it? She said Beyond Good and Evil, and I just got chills because it is something that I've studied for a very long period of time, like. Is there something beyond the idea of good and evil? Because good and evil is a way that we give meaning to things. But it's not just a way that we give meaning. It has a whole subset of values and decisions and the way that we look at life, um, things that we do with each other, to each other. It's a big, big topic. And I was like, there's somebody else out there that is thinking about, is there something beyond this idea? And the, the, the statue itself spoke so much. It brought all these different uh, aspects of the topic mixed with religion, where it came from, uh, the whole idea of Adam and Eve, uh, the apple, the betrayal, like all of it says it, and I was just completely captivated by it. And I'm kind of getting this look from my wife at the time. She's like, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to, you know, what are we doing here, right? What, what, sure. What's actually going on? And I said to myself, I want this, but now is not the right time to, to do this. I need to, I need to step away from this at, for the moment and, and put this on the back burner. So, you know, I did that. And then, of course, life gets in the way. And uh, several years later... Um, I'm no longer married. I'm looking at redecorating my house. I have this client and she was, she was asking me about the art that I have in, in my house because that's what she does. She helps people find uh, really quality art f- for their homes. And I said to her, I said, Shannon, let me tell you this crazy story, right? And I start telling her this story about this trip in France and I'm taking in this piece. And, and she says to me, um, do you remember the name of the artist? And I said, no, I don't. So what I had to do was I had to describe to her what it looked like. I couldn't find, I knew I had a picture of it somewhere because I knew I took a picture on my phone, but I couldn't find it. So I had to describe to her what it looked like. I told her what the name of it was in, uh, in English and she does the voodoo that she does. And she went on this search. And she comes back to me with a picture, and it's the statue. Wow. And not only that, she tracked down the artist. She tracked down the gallery and the winery that we were at, the, the whole thing. And she makes a connection 
and finds out that what I was actually looking at was a private collection that somebody had on display in this winery. It was gone, right? They didn't know who the private collector was. And if they did, they weren't allowed to, get, to give out the name. So she tracks down the artist. And uh, the artist says, I don't, there's only a couple of those pieces that were made. And uh, I don't have any, you know, of them for sale, obviously. And she said, um, but let me look and see if the mold is still around. So she had to go through some of her warehouses digging around. She, she thought that they destroyed the mold, and they actually found it. Wow. The mold still existed. It was in storage somewhere. She pulled it out, and she said, uh, would you be interested in, in having me do one? And we were like, you know, absolutely. So it costs like 40 grand to have it, to have it done. Sure. Uh, but it's absolutely stunning. And here was the thing for me, that when I saw it, I'm like, this is mine. There, I had already made the decision in my mind. The question was, when is this going to happen, right? So, and then everything just followed along the course of the way that it needed to go. And today it sits in my house, you know? So. Isn't it amazing how that was playing, even though two years had passed since you had even thought about that, it was still playing in your mind somewhere back there. It and was. Then, and then it came up. Like, it wasn't like you were thinking about it every single day. No, but I mean, it, every once in a while in the right company or whatever, it would be a story that would come to, to yeah. the, you know, to the table over drinks or something, you know, about this, about this statue. Sure. Uh, because it made such an impact on me. Yeah, and I'm not one to be moved by art, really. I mean, I love to look at pretty things, but that one tells a story without doing nothing at all other than existing. Amazing story. It's so cool. Well, amazing well, story. Thank you for going in depth into that yeah. more because I think it's way too cool to not. All right, well, to close out this episode, uh, you did something we've never done on the show before, and that's you took listeners through a visual, visualization Excuse me, that was designed to get people to see past any problem they're currently facing and come to a different solution. Why is consistent visualization so important in what you do? And it reminds me of the card you used to carry around in your wallet, you know, that goal card that you have. That's a visualization tool. I still carry it. Do you, why, yeah. why is it so important that we do that visualization consistently? Because we see in pictures. That's how our mind sees things. It sees in, it sees in images. So if you if you close your eyes, uh, obviously, if a person's driving, don't do that right now. But um, if, you, if you're not driving, if you close your eyes and think to yourself, walk, walk into your kitchen, right? In your mind's eye, you can see your kitchen. You know where the spoons are. You know where the cups are. You know where the coffee is. You know uh, what, where the refrigerator, what's in the refrigerator. Now, instantly go to your car. What is the fabric of the seats in your car? What is the color of that fabric? What's the color of your car? And I could just keep taking you, like, take me to your bedroom, take me to your, to your uh, washroom, what's in your garage? And we go through all of this, and our mind just flips from image to image to image to image to image. So when, when we are working with images, when we're talking about um, uh, visualization of anything, the idea is that 
part of the belief is to burn the image into our subconscious mind. If I can get that image in and see myself in possession with it, I'll manifest it in my life. But the key is we have to do that. So I work with people um, through a few different things, visualization, self-hypnosis. There's several different procedures that I'll take a person through and teach them how to practice these things so that they become more efficient at the manifestation of the things that they really truly want. Yeah, well, it, it was it was lovely, powerful. I mean, I would encourage people to go back it and is. listen it's to really that over powerful. and over again. Yeah. It's not long either, so you just kind of give it some time and get to a nice, safe, quiet space and just let you take over. I thought it was really, really powerful, and I'm glad we shared it with our listening audience. Yeah, and consistency is the key. So it's not about how long can you do a visualization for. It, it really shouldn't take up all that much time, but if you do it, do it once or twice a day for 90 days and you will see a difference in whatever it is that you're attempting to manifest in your life. Yeah. I love it. Well, this was an amazing episode. Thanks for coming inside. You bet. Thanks for listening to the successful mind podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.